Hello everyone and welcome to Multidisciplinary Dialogue, Clinical Rounds, and Case Reviews with your host, Dr. Anil Harrison, who is the Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine Residency Program and the Ambulatory Care Director at Toro University and St. Joseph's Medical Center Dignity Health in Stockton, California. Today we have a case review that Dr. Harrison and Dr. Paul Shu will analyze and provide treatment insights. Dr. Shu is a second year internal medicine resident at St. Joseph's Medical Center in Stockton, California. In this episode, we'll discuss HAGMA and NAGMA. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or the views of Consultant 360. Dr. Harrison, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Paul. It's a beautiful day. A very good morning to you. Very good morning to you. For our uh, new listeners, you may not know this, but Dr. Harrison and I, we like to start off our podcast with a joke. And in this case, it's not so much of a joke as much of it is uh, observation. People tell me not to eat late at night for many reasons. But if there is an issue of eating at night, why do they have light bulbs in the refrigerator, Dr. Harrison? <laughs> Search me, Paul. So today we're going to talk about metabolic acidosis, high and normal anion gap. So this is the, the third part to a series long on arterial blood gases. We're building the foundation to interpret arterial blood gases. The topic here is HAGMA and NAGMA. And I actually had a case, Dr. Harrison. I was wondering if you can help me out on it. I'd be happy to, Paul. We have a 40-year-old found to have the following labs upon evaluating of history of recurrent kidney stones. Sodium is 133, potassium is 3.2, chloride is 110, bicarb is 15, a blood sugar of 100, a BUN of 20, a creatinine of 1. His measured serum osmolality uh, by the lab is 280. And then if we calculate the serum osmolality, which is sodium times 2 divided by uh, glucose divided by 18 plus BUN divided by 2.8. We get a calculated serum osmolality of 278. This tells us there is a metabolic acidosis and there is no osmolar gap. Yes, uh, you're right on that. So we have somebody with a metabolic acidosis and no osmolar gap. So if you think about it, Paul, if there is no osmolar gap, we probably can rule out methanol and ethylene glycol. Mm. Right? There is no osmolar gap. Correct. So our patient also meets the criteria for metabolic acidosis with a bicarb of 15. Normal bicarb is between 22 to 28. Mm. So what we need to do next is to determine if this person has an anion gap, which is sodium minus chloride minus bicarbonate. Our patient has an anion gap of eight, confirming that this is a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. So you think about it, what are the etiologies for a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis? And it's a simple mnemonic, which is called HARDAP. H stands for hyperalimentation, A for acetazolamide and other carbonic anhydrase inhibitors such as uh, topiramate, renal tubular acidosis type 1, 4, and 2, Urethro, sigmoid fistula, and pancreatic fistulas because you lose bicarbonate. They, all these need to be entertained in the differential. However, if you think about it, mm. our patient did not receive hyperalimentation. This patient is on no medications, has had no prior surgeries, gives us no history of diarrhea, 
Therefore, I have a feeling that this might be pointing towards a renal tubular acidosis. Hmm. So then if you notice, uh, at least with our patients' labs, the, um, the bicarb is low, the chloride is high. I believe the, another term for this would be hypochromic metabolic acidosis. You're correct, Paul. Yes. So uh, what is the pathophysiology for what actually happens with a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis is there is acidosis or retention of hydrogen ions, or there could be a loss of bicarbonate, which is alkali. And while losing the bicarbonate, there is retention of chloride. Acid in the blood in the form of hydrogen ions is excreted in the kidneys. As with an acid load, there is an increased production of ammonia by the nephrons, which combine with the hydrogen ions to form NH4. It is this NH4 which binds with chloride and is then excreted. Because ammonia in the urine is difficult to measure, its surrogate, which is chloride, is therefore measured instead. The urine anion gap, which is urinary sodium minus, uh, sorry, urinary sodium plus urinary potassium minus urinary chloride, is usually zero or has a slightly negative number. Remember, instead of measuring ammonia, we are going to measure its surrogate, which is urinary chloride. If the urine anion gap, which is urine sodium plus potassium minus chloride, if it has a negative value, if it has a negative value, you think of a gut problem. Ha <laughs> ha, that is this serendipitous that the uh, gut just fits into negative. Kind of. Very easy to remember. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Absolutely. But another reason for a negative urinary anion gap could be a proximal renal tubular acidosis, which is a type 2. Now, if what happens if the urine anion gap is positive? This points to the kidneys, especially it's either a distal type 1 or a type 4 renal tubular acidosis. If you remember, with proximal type 2 and distal type 1 renal tubular acidosis, the serum potassium is low. But with a type 4 renal tubular acidosis, because of aldosterone deficiency or resistance, the serum potassium is elevated. Paul, if you agree, in another presentation, we could discuss renal tubular acidosis and we can go into the details of you know, the various abnormalities that are seen with the different types of RTAs. You know, it's funny. We had a morning report just today and uh, we were talking about, we had a really good case on renal tubular acidosis or a discussion rather on renal tubular acidosis. And for the audience tuning in who are, weren't fortunate enough to join us on Morton Morning Report here, why do we have renal tubular acidosis one, two, and four? What happened to three? It, I feel like renal tubular acidosis three is like Pluto. It, it's been kicked off. Um, so hopefully, uh, and uh, you know, if Dr. Harrison agrees, we can perhaps talk more about renal tubular acidosis as well as talk about what happened to three. Yeah, poor little three. Poor little three. Okay. As a, as a refresher, our patient has uh, a urine anion gap that was positive, a urine pH, which was 6.2. He had a low serum potassium. Therefore, his diagnosis points towards a type 1 distal renal tubular acidosis. Spot on, spot uh, on. Paul. So to summarize, 
a 40-year-old patient with a history of recurrent kidney stones and labs to suggest a normal N9 gap metabolic acidosis, who also had a positive urine N9 gap, a urine pH of 6.2, I think would lead us to believe that he has a distal type 1 renal tubular acidosis, which is sometimes associated with kidney stones. This, this, this whole business with uh, reoccurring kidney stones, would you elucidate the uh, connection between uh, type 1 RTA and kidney stones, please? Absolutely, Paul. So, you know, this happens due to a lack of urine acid, acidification by the distal nephron. And with the lack of, due to a lack of urinary citrate. And that is why the treatment is potassium, because these people have hypokalemia and you give them citrate. So potassium citrate is a treatment to replenish potassium as well as citrate and citrate gets converted into bicarbonate. A stroke of brilliance, folks. Well, Dr. Harrison, we're very lucky to have you on board here to help us understand NAGMA and HAGMA and very useful mnemonics at that. Last time we talked about CAT mud piles. Today we talked about hard up. I don't know what acronym we have next coming up, but I do know because we're talking about kidney stones that we are just a stone throws away from our next podcast. <laughs> That's a good one, Paul. I tried Dr. Harrison, just trying to keep up with you. So folks, thank you so much for tuning in for yet another podcast with Dr. Harrison and me. And we hope that uh, you continue to tune in. And for those who are just joining us, we invite you to listen to podcast one and two, because this is a uh, long-standing series on understanding arterial blood gases and acid base. And we implore you to uh, listen, give us feedback, and we'll, we'll get back to you. And if you ask a really, really, really difficult question and make us really scratch our heads, uh, Dr. Harrison will uh, send you a personal message via email. <laughs> Thank you, folks. Really do appreciate you. Thank you, everyone.